One thing that I've done very, very recently, Kevin, is that I've integrated something that's been a personal passion of mine with my existing skill set. And uh, what I have done is I have written a book called A Good Soldier, which is a memoir about a kid, myself, obviously, since it's a memoir, uh, growing up with a parent who has severe mental illness. Then comes the part where escaping the mental illness of a loved one when you're younger comes full circle and informs your decision to be an advocate for others today. The Reach West radio show welcomes Allie Golden, author of A Good Soldier, a moving memoir that captures the isolation and pain that can come from having a loved one with a mental illness. You're listening to Reach West Radio with your host, Kevin W. Grossman. It's time to live the effectual stretch. Allie, thank you so much for being on Reach West Radio. Before we dive into the rest of the show, why don't you tell us a little bit about where the aspirational world of work started for you, meaning what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I always wanted to be a writer, Kevin, to be honest with you. I uh, started actually when I was in high school, actually when I was a, a child and then in high school, writing short stories, and then I started writing novels. And I really always enjoyed writing. I enjoyed essay writing, and I thought that I could be potentially a fiction writer. And uh, later, I enjoyed writing articles. I like the op-ed style, so that was something that appealed to me. So I really have had that aspiration from a young age, and it's been really nice to see it come full circle. I've obviously done other things in my life, but uh, this is something that I've always come back to. And it's something that makes me feel comfortable. It's something where I enjoy increasing my skill set and getting better at it over time. And it's fun to see the development over you know, being a very young person who's trying to write versus being someone who's relatively uh, experienced. I still wouldn't say that you know, I'm not like at the end of my life or anything, but I, I definitely am, am moving into the middle period of my life where I have hopefully a lot more insights to offer and can explore certain issues from different perspectives that perhaps when I was younger, I wasn't able to do. You know, well, I had a college professor who told me once in, in one of my English literature courses, we also did some creative, creative writing that semester in the class. Anyway, long story short, he gave me some really, really valuable feedback and very pointed feedback and critique. And he was very clear with me by saying, listen, you, you're definitely, you've got some writing chops, that's for sure, but you still haven't fallen through the center of the earth and come back <laughs> at, and come back out again. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? But, you know, I get it now, right? There's, there is a, and you probably experienced this as a writer too, there's a kind of an experiential maturity that develops yes. over time. And you, even if you are really good at writing, you know, part of life makes you a better writer, actually experiencing stuff. Your professor is so right on that. And I love that analogy because, and there's nothing you can do to get that experience except living. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like you can study it. No. Study how to have experience and how to showcase that in my writing, right? No, exactly. You, and, and that's the whole thing is that you, you, you know, this, the writing skill itself is definitely something that does take time and to develop, even if you're good at it from the get go, but it's the, it's the life experience. Um, my daughter as well is kind of got my bug because I've been writing as like you from, from an early, as I, far as I can remember as a child. And it's always been my lifelong passion. And now she just finished and illustrated her first book. She's eight. And I mean, 
you know, not for publication, but it's wow. just, it's an amazing story that she wrote and I helped That's her. Proof- great. Yeah. I helped her proofread it and um, it was really fascinating. So let's, let's jump. I'm sure writing of course goes throughout your, your career to date and we'll touch on um, a few more of those things throughout this show today. But what's the first job that you had, like your actual paying job that you had, whether that was a teenager, early adult, and you know, tell us about that experience. Was it was it a train wreck? Was it like an amazing learning experience? What were some of the lessons there? Well, if you don't count babysitting, uh, well, I, that's that's. I mean, well, sure. I mean, you could, but it's up to you. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm gonna. I'm not gonna include that because okay. I literally was babysitting. Not that we let kids do this today, but I was literally babysitting for the neighbors from the age of nine, which I can't imagine having my nine year old today babysitting anyone. Right. But times have changed. But I would say the first official job that I had where I went somewhere uh, and did something to get paid for it uh, was I was a children's birthday party hostess. And what I did there is I worked at, it was like, like Chuck E. Cheese, but not exactly. It was a local form of Chuck E. Cheese. And the kids would come in and we would sing happy birthday. We would eat pizza and cake. And then they would go out and play for about, I don't know, probably 30 minutes. But the funny thing about that, Kevin, was that I had about eight of these per day. It was such a grueling job. But oh my I, God. I, wow. I learned a lot about, first of all, how to be on because every parent and every child wants to feel like their birthday is the most special thing in the universe. So how to do that over and over again for eight hours um, with eight parties, one each, one every hour. And then I also learned, I think, of how to be organized and how to do things in a turnkey way. Where you, so you're not reinventing the wheel every time you do something. You have a, a way of doing it that works and you can keep employing it over and over, which I have found in my later career to be very useful skill to have. Yeah, that's amazing. So how did you scale that? I mean, or not just scale, because obviously you did if you did that many multiple per day. How did you sustain that? How did you get yourself like psyched and prepped for each one that you were delivering? It's a good question. And I remember that I would try to meet the birthday kid and learn a little bit about what they were all about so that I could genuinely be excited about helping them celebrate their birthday as opposed to faking it. I've, I've found that in life and in my career in general, like the more you can feel real emotion about something mm. as opposed to just trying to put on the face of it, I think that that makes you feel better and it makes you better at what you're doing. And so I remember even being 16 years old and taking the time to really have a conversation with the kid and learn how happy they were to be there and how they've been looking forward to this all month and why they were excited to be six or seven or eight or nine years old. And that was how I made each party special because I felt a genuine connection with the kid. That totally makes sense. Was there ever uh, a party that you gave where the kid wasn't happy? No. <laughs> I'm sure there were. I can't remember off the top of my head. I do remember like snafus happening. Like sure. there wasn't enough pizza or the lighter. I remember the lighter for, um, that was how we would light the candles. I remember the lighter not working several times and like having to go out into the play area and ask people, does anyone have a lighter? <laughs> um, remember that happening. And kids just get overstimulated. And inevitably in some cases, it wouldn't necessarily be the birthday kid who was upset, but someone would be upset at the party. Injuries would happen to where some kid would be out in the balls and get stuck, or I mean, there were all sorts of things that happened. And that's, that's another lesson. Just you go with the flow, you problem solve on the fly, and you do your best. So what about heckling? Any parents ever heckle you? Oh, uh, I don't remember parents heckling me. Some parents had really 
unrealistically high expectations sure. of what, what this was supposed to be. And you had those, uh, you know, not to be um, overgeneralization here, but, um, you know, these are millennial parents <laughs> by uh-huh. and large. Uh-huh. So, you know, they were the, of the helicopter sort, wanting everything for their child to be absolutely perfect. And um, they, were, they could be difficult to deal with at times. Uh, I don't remember being heckled, and I don't remember any parents all in all causing like a war or like a verbal argument, but there would be comments made here and there. And, you know, of course not getting a tip, which for a high achiever like me, it was pretty devastating. Cause oh my gosh. Fairly, fairly dissatisfied. To good. Not give a tip. <laughs> good. So it wasn't like a little league game gone bad then. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Not really. No. All right. Good, good. Let's, let's, let's segue to education. So talk, talk about the education that you've had, especially post high school and, um, how did that inform your future career decisions at that point? Yeah, I went to Northwestern University um, and I had been dreaming of going there since the time I was about 14 years old. I liked that it had a combination of, I was into the dramatic arts in high school, very much into theater and singing. And I liked that I could experience that at Northwestern without having to major in it because I didn't necessarily think that that was going to be my career. As I mentioned, I did think that I would do something with writing but didn't really think the theater thing was necessarily going to go anywhere. So I liked that I could live in a dorm that focused on theater and a lot of people with similar interests were living there. So uh, I went there and I basically got your standard liberal arts education. Uh, I majored in psychology and was in the arts of science, the College of Arts and Sciences there and got to take a lot of writing classes. Um, Didn't major in anything related to writing necessarily, uh, but I did do a minor in communications. And all of this stuff I felt was really useful for what I would later do in my career. And although my career has morphed over the years, I I think that every experience I've had has been been pretty valuable and taught me some great transferable skills uh, to pass on. Absolutely. I also majored in psychology, minor in anthropology, started a master's in English that didn't finish. Don't think I ever will, but uh, all that. And then of course, you know, what I'm doing today is, is uh, running a small research organization and um, I've had a big background in uh, technology marketing and product marketing and go figure. But that background, that, that kind of social science liberal background pays off, don't you think? It does. Yeah. And I tell, you know, college kids today, it's like, it doesn't really matter what you major in necessarily. Right. It's, it's the skills that you, that you get. And sometimes just being in college, you get a lot of skills about um, interpersonal communication and how to multitask and how to manage your own time, uh, how to be diplomatic in situations that might not be ideal. And these are all things that you're going to take and, and use later. Let's talk about what you're doing today and, and how that kind of talk about that transition, what you're doing today. I like to call it the effectual stretch. It's like, how did, you know, how did you stretch yourself to get here where you're at today? And how are you, how do you plan on sustaining that? Yeah, well, it took a long time. And I think that one thing that I've done very, very recently, Kevin, is that I've integrated something that's been a personal passion of mine with my existing skill set. And uh, what I have done is I have written a book called A Good Soldier, which is a memoir about a kid, myself, obviously, since it's a memoir, um, growing up with a parent who has severe mental illness. And in the past, all I've written about, for the most part, are you know business and career issues. And this book was really an opportunity for me to take a stand and say, you know what, there are very few people out there who are willing to speak up on these issues, and mm-hmm. even fewer people who have any kind of writing ability or interests. 
And so I almost felt like it was my duty to tell my story so that I could tell it in a cohesive way that people could hopefully grab onto and realize they're not alone, even if they may be in a very alienating experience where they can't talk to their friends or family about it, that they recognize that someone else has been there and, and hopefully that this, this book will do that. So for me, the transition has really been from things that were writing about things that were not really as closely or personally related to my life to, to something that is obviously um, very, very much related. And it's been an interesting period and an interesting time for sure. So are you then now working with those that have also gone through similar experiences? Is this, is it going to be an extension of the book? Are you going to be doing speaking around it? I don't want to call them therapy sessions, but just yeah, are you going sure. to work with individuals more? And uh, in, in, based on this coming out is not even the right word either, but just kind of basically sharing your personal story that meant too many of us, unfortunately, mm -hmm. can, can relate to. I knew I uh, grew up in domestic violence and there was sexual abuse in the family, as well as my first stepfather was mentally ill and unstable and, and manic depressive and refused oh. to take his medication. So sorry ongoing, to hear that. Yeah, on an ongoing basis that really caused a lot of just, just it was not a, you know, not a good time in our lives, my sister, my mom, and my, myself. But my point is, is that i am been comfortable sharing that too, but, but what was kind of the tipping point for you, right? Why, why, why now? Is it just finally something that you kind of came to grips with personally? Yeah, that's a great question. Why now? Because it has, it has been a while. Um, my mother um, did pass away a okay. while ago, which I've kind of, I guess, preempted the, <laughs> the ending to the book, but I won't, I won't tell uh, the listeners how, but she, she passed away a while ago and I waited Primarily, I think because I was busy with other things. I was raising young children, which is very stressful, as you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Um, and you just have a limited amount of emotional capacity to offer. So I think that's part of it. But what really was the tipping point this year, honestly, is the, the climate that we're in. Um, you know, people will say that the mental health, the state of mental health in the world is, is not related to politics. It's not related to economic situations. But the fact of the matter is, whatever the cause is, the, uh, the incidence of of suicide, of severe mental illness, of people calling into hotlines has skyrocketed since the fall. And so I felt, you know, this is really a dire situation now, um, particularly the, the problems that are being faced by people in my mother's age group, which is an age group you don't typically hear much about, middle-aged women. You hear about senior citizens, you hear about teenagers, you even hear about men who, who are you know, undertaking violent acts of self-harm, but you don't really hear about the middle-aged woman. And so I, I've seen that the numbers of, of women who are, are self-harming have increased drastically in the last couple of years. And so I really felt like there's a need. I also, um, you asked if, if I've been involved in this in the past, and actually I've been involved with volunteering for the American um, Foundation for Suicide Prevention mm. um, quite, for quite a while now. And I, in, in that role, I go and I speak to people who have lost a family member, uh, either like a spouse, a child, or a parent um, to suicide or even a friend. And I visit with them and just help them through the experience by talking and offering resources, et cetera. And I always get asked about my story and I, I tell it like probably five times a month or something like that. So writing it down just sort of became something like maybe I should write it down. I am a writer after all. So that was how it all came to fruition now. So are you then still 
right now, obviously volunteering is with the same organization. Are there other organizations that you're, that you're involved with? And Oh, right that's now? right. You did ask like, how am I, how am I parlaying this into more career related things? And the answer is I am doing some speaking. Um, I do have a social media presence now and I am, hoping that I'm going to be developing partnerships with other organizations who are trying to reach the same population of people so that I can get the book into the right hands. I'm, I'm not really intending the book to be like the super bestseller. It's really was written purely to help other people who are like you and me, who sure. have gone through these experiences. Maybe we've had some support, but it could have been better or not used to reading things like this. I remember going through what was really a 30 long, 30 year long odyssey with my mom looking for books like this and not really finding any. Mm. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to, to put something out there. But yes, we're, we're working on a partnership with the National Depression Center. I'm hoping that the book just launched, but I'm hoping that as more and more people read it and are exposed to it, that we'll be able to, to really reach out to people on a larger scale who are part of these organizations. And a good soldier we can find on booksellers of choice like Amazon and, and others uh, online, correct? Exactly. I would recommend uh, Amazon first and foremost. Yeah. And then um, you, also I have a website, alleygolden.com, so you can feel free to visit me there too. That's awesome. Everything that we do is inextricably linked to the next thing. And that includes our careers, our personal lives, our families, our friends, our peers, our colleagues. I mean, there, there is just no separation. It's just a blend of, mm -hmm. and as far as I'm concerned. And that includes what we do that we're passionate about from a volunteer perspective. So that's why I appreciate you sharing all that as well. The one thing that always fascinates me, and it's a little bit disheartening, and some people sometimes don't like the way that I frame this, but when we have a foreign entity that like the disease or cancer that you know, takes a loved one from us, mm -hmm. it seems to, that it's easier to vilify that because it's this it's it's far removed it's something that's out of our control it's it's not messy human stuff right and yep. messy human stuff is the mental illness is the abuse is then the list goes on and on it's mm -hmm. it is difficult for us as i found at least as a, as a society whether you've experienced it or not to talk about that yeah you know what i mean so i'm glad to, to, that you're doing this that you've been volunteering and that you've got this book a good soldier that's come out as well how, just really briefly, how has this impacted you and your, your current relationships, this work that you're doing and now that you've launched the book? Published well, I'm hoping to become more of an advocate. So getting involved more with policy and uh, getting involved with the organizations, not just from the perspective of promoting the book, but also learning what, uh, what they're doing in order to help this population. Unfortunately, where we are politically, it's not going to be a great time for mental health. And right. so I feel like it's all hands on deck more than ever as of the last month or so. Um, so granted, I couldn't have necessarily seen this coming, um, although we did see the, the increases in, in problems even before uh, the Trump presidency. But certainly, I don't think we're in a great scenario now. So um, I'm hoping to be more of an advocate, and it means that I'm going to be more out there publicly with my story. And I, I think that that's easier for some family members and some friends to stomach than others. Right. I think a great first step was putting the book out because... I, I allowed close friends and family to review it ahead of time. They were able to give their thoughts. If they thought something was extremely inaccurate, they could, they could tell me that and we could work on it. So I think that was a step in the right direction. In terms of relationships in general, I think what it's done for me, it's helped me tell people what I need. Mm. Because when my mom passed away, 
I didn't tell a lot of people. And then I kind of got upset that nobody was supporting me. Well, people aren't mind readers. And if you don't reach out for what you need, then it's going to be hard for people to give it to you. And so I think with this book, I've, I've behaved a little bit differently. I've been trying to tell people, this has been really hard for me. This has been a, a, a massively emotional undertaking and I need your support and actually spelling it out for people. Mm-hmm. And then they've come back and support supported me. But I think expecting people to behave in a certain way or be supportive when you don't say that you need it, that's a life lesson that I've learned from all this. Well, and I think that actually kind of helps to answer the next question for those that are in a similar situation who really want to try to make a difference in, in the, not only in the, their own lives, but those around them and others that have maybe have suffered the same experience as well. Uh, you just pretty much hit that. I think that's really, you know, what else would you add on to that if somebody else was like thinking, what do I do next? Well, I think that the first thing you can do is, is be wide open and aware to what, what's going on in your friends and family's lives. There are people that are going through a lot of stuff right now, and some of it is clinical mental illness, and some of it is just they might be struggling with the climate out there, um, what our whole society is going through. Uh, they might be struggling with a job situation, I mean, circling back to the career stuff. I have had three, no fewer than three friends in the last two weeks in massive career crises, and that can obviously be devastating to you emotionally and can be terrible for your mental health. The career is such an important part of our lives and our identity in many cases is tied up in that. So just because you don't have a loved one or a close friend who has a mental illness doesn't mean that you can't be paying attention to everything that's going on with your friends and family. And I think that one thing that we tend to do is think that Facebook or social media in general is a substitute for real authentic human interaction. It's not. And so instead of spending so much time on social media, take a step back and say, should I maybe call this person to Mm. check in? Or should I send them a person, God forbid, a personalized email that's not on social media? And I think that this all sounds very simple, but I think that this is where I would start. And then, of course, if there's a specific organization that you feel is close to your heart or that is very much aligned with the experience that you might have had, look for ways to volunteer. There are local chapters in AFSP the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is a great example. Um, where I live in Chicago, we have a huge chapter. And so I don't have to even go anywhere. I, I can get really involved with the organization without even traveling more than 20 minutes at a time. So inevitably, there's going to be ways that you can help out locally if it's something that you're interested in. That's great advice, Allie. And again, the book is A Good Soldier, and you can get it on Amazon.com or your site again, Allie Golden. Dot com. com as well. Yep. There you go. So listen, thank you again so much. I look forward to seeing you again in person very soon. And thanks again for being on Reach West Radio. Thanks for having me, Kevin. It's been really fun and I appreciate you having me. Reach wise, reach well, reach west and live the effectual stretch. We'll feel you next time on Reach West Radio. Hey, Bryce, what would you like to be when you grow up? Um, a marine biologist. Beatrice, what would you like to be when you grow up? A firefighter. Why do you want to be a marine biologist? Because I like ocean animals and I think they're sweet. (laughs) And Beatrice, why do you want to be a firefighter? So I can help people in fires. Awesome. I love redress chicken. <laughs> One more time. I love redress mermaid. <laughs> <laughs>